Welcome to Creation Radio and TV. I'm your host, Mike Riddle, the president and founder of a Creation Training Initiative, where we train others how to speak and teach on biblical creation and how to defend your faith. Well, today's lesson is going to be on the sanctity of human life. Just how much do we value human life? Now, in this session, we'll be answering many questions and two very specific questions. And these are, when do we become a person and when does human life begin? And we're going to find out the answers to these two different questions are also very different. Now, to start with, there's two opposing views on the sanctity of human life or how much we value human life. Our perspective and what we believe is largely formed by who we listen to and who taught us, whether we went to a public school, Christian school, and even there, they can be different. Well, let's take a look at these two views. The first view is from maybe what we call a purely evolutionary world view, where humans and all other living creatures are descendants from a common ancestor over millions and millions of years. Therefore, humans are really no different than animals, no special features other than maybe we have a little higher intelligence there. Therefore, our lives only have the meaning that we choose to give it. Now, based on this belief, human life is not sacred and babies in the womb can be killed or what we call aborted. Now, I'm not suggesting that all those who believe in evolution necessarily support abortion, but the ideology of evolution does endorse or support the killing of human babies. Now, we mentioned the term abortion. Now, what do we mean by abortion? An abortion is when a pregnancy is ended so that it does not result in the birth of a human being baby. Now, the second view, this is based on a biblical worldview, which states that God is the creator of all life, and man was created in the image and likeness of God. Therefore, human life is sacred and abortion is wrong. So there's our two views. One is based on what we call a materialistic or evolutionary worldview, and the other one is primarily based on a biblical worldview. And we see this biblical worldview in Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27, where we read, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God told us, that we are special and different from the animals. We also see this in the book of Psalms, chapter 139, verses 13 and 14, where it states, For you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. The unfortunate part to this is not all who go to church believe or have a biblical worldview. And therefore, there are those who go to church that do endorse abortion or the terminating of a human life. Now, each of these two views come with labels. The first view can be called the anti-life or anti-child or what's commonly heard as the pro-choice 
which means arbitrary selection to determine who lives and who dies. The second view is called the pro-life view. Now let's take a look at who's having abortions. Now before we get too deep into this, I want to let you know when we get to the end, I do have some very good news. So hold on to the good news as we go through the abortion and pro-life movement here. Now, who is having abortions? Well, based on the statistics, 18% of U.S. women who have abortions are teenagers. 85% of women having abortions are unmarried. Now, when we get to religion, the statistics show that 37% of the women who have abortions are claiming to be Protestant, and 28% are Catholic. So those are some of the people who are having abortions. Now let's take a look at some of the most common reasons for having an abortion. The statistics show that less than one-half of 1% 1 of all abortions are because of rape or incest. So very small part because of that. 4% of abortions are because the mother has health problems. 3% are because of possible problems with the baby. But look at this next one. 25% of all abortions are because the woman is not ready to have a baby. In other words, it's a convenience factor. 8% of abortions are because of relationships. They think if they have the baby, the relationships might have a problem and they don't want to have a single parenthood for the baby. 19% of all abortions are because they believe they have all the children they wanted and they don't want to have any more. 23% of the abortions are because they don't have enough money to support the baby, simply cannot afford to have the baby. And 4% of abortions because it would interfere with their career or their educational plans. Those are some of the main reasons for having abortions. In other words, these statistics show that many women choose abortion out of fear. Fear of not being able to raise a child. Fear of losing their partner if they do not have an abortion. Or fear of losing control over their lives. The statistics also show that over 80% of all abortions are for convenience or because of pressure. In other words, for many women who have an abortion, it is not a true choice. It is an act of despair. Now let's answer our two questions. When do we become a person and when does human life begin? The answers to these questions will help us understand why abortion is wrong. So question number one, when do we become a person? The answer to this question can be found in the Bible. And we turn to Isaiah chapter 44 verse 2 and we read this. Thus says the Lord who made you and formed you from the womb. It was God who formed us in the womb. Then we can turn to Psalm 139, verse 16, where it states, Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. In your book they all were written, the days fashioned for me when as yet there were none of them. God knew us before we were in the womb. Now, some, that Psalm 139 also gives us a very graphic picture of the unborn in God's eyes. 
And then finally we turn to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, where it states, Just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love. In other words, God knew us before the world was even created. So the answer to the first question, when do we become a person? The answer is before we were in our mother's womb, before the foundation of the world. God knew every one of those 55 million aborted babies in the United States alone before they were even in the mother's womb. Now let's answer the second question. When does human life begin? Now let's start by looking at our timeline. When does the baby come out of the womb? Well, the average time is somewhere between 40 and 42 weeks. Some might be a little more rambunctious and come out a little early, and some might be a little tardy and come out a little later. But the average is somewhere between 40 and 42 weeks. So let's start with 30 weeks, working our way backwards. At 30 weeks, by this time, the baby is completely formed and will continue to develop until delivery. The baby can even recognize voices outside the womb. And also, at this level, at 30 weeks, that baby has all the capability of feeling pain. At 26 weeks, the brainwave patterns resemble those of a full-term baby. The eyes are partially open and eyelashes are present. And at 26 weeks, that baby has all the capability of feeling pain. Now let's go to 20 weeks, about halfway through term. The eyebrows and scalp and hair are visible and the baby is off blinking quite often. And at 20 weeks, halfway through term, that baby has all the capability of feeling pain. Let's go to 14 weeks. The baby has the ability to move their head, mouth, lips, arms, legs, wrist, hands, feet, and toes. And at 14 weeks, it is recognized that that baby has all the capability of feeling pain. Now, let's listen to a quote from pioneer photologist uh, Albert Lilly, who talks about the baby and pain. And he states this, and this goes all the way back to 1969. That's when we knew this. And he quote, and I quote, when doctors first began invading the sanctuary of the womb, they did not know that the unborn baby would react to pain in the same fashion as a child would, but they soon learned he did. In other words, that baby has all the capability of feeling pain at eight weeks of development. Now let's go to 10 weeks. The brain structure is complete and the brain mass increases rapidly. Socket for all 20 teeth are formed in the gums, and at 10 weeks, the face has a very human face. And don't forget, at 10 weeks, that baby has all the capability of feeling pain. Now, let's go to 18 days. Just 18 days, the heart is forming and the eyes are developing. Now, I want to show you some amazing pictures of babies inside the mother's womb. We're not going to show any horrible pictures. We're just going to show the good pictures. I want to show you that this is not an it. This is a real, living human being. In our first picture here, we see a baby at seven weeks. Notice the toes and the fingers developed. Now, here's another picture at 
10 weeks. The baby can move their arms and legs with a wide range of development. And don't forget, that at 10 weeks, that baby has the capability of feeling pain. Here's another picture at 12 weeks. Here's a baby performing walking movements at 12 weeks. Some of you women know this. They're already bouncing off the walls inside there. And here's another incredible picture. At 12 weeks, a baby performing yawning movements. Wow. How can anyone even think about having an abortion when they see pictures like this of a human being? Now here's another one. At 20 weeks, a baby with their hands on top of their head. This baby's in there having a great time moving around. And here's another one. At 30 weeks, a baby smiling inside the womb. And yes, they do smile inside that womb. Now here is an incredible picture that we get at 21 weeks, a baby inside the mother's womb. What an incredible picture this is. And finally, here's another baby at 29 weeks sucking their thumb inside the mother's womb. Again, these are not its. These are real, living human beings that can feel pain. So when does human life begin? Our second question. Well, let's go on a little further before we answer that. Here's a statement from a genetics professor, and he states, It is no longer a matter of taste or opinion. Each individual has a very neat beginning at conception. Here's another quote from a professor, Harvard Medical School, and he states, It is scientifically correct to say that an individual human life begins at conception. Now let's turn to some embryology textbooks. Embryology being the study of human development. And here's a book that states, Human development begins at fertilization, the process during which a male gamete or sperm unites with a female gamete or oocyte to form a single cell called a zygote. This highly specialized totipotent cell marked the beginning of each of us as a unique individual. A zygote is the beginning of a new human being. Those are our modern embryology te textbooks talking about the development of human life. Let's look at one more here. Development begins with fertilization, the process by which the male gamete, the sperm, and the female gamete, the oocyte, unite to give rise to a zygote, a single-cell human being. And finally, another one, the zygote formed by the union of an oocyte and a sperm is the beginning of a new human being. Now, let me show you what some of the leading abortionists have to say about this. When do we become a human being? When does human life begin? And this statement by a leading abortionist was made in 1997. Faye Walston the longest reigning president of the largest abortion provider in the United States, Planned Parenthood. And I quote, I think we have deluded ourselves into believing that people don't know that abortion is killing. So any pretense that abortion is not killing is a signal of our ambivalence, a signal that we cannot say yes, it kills a fetus. There's one of the leaders of the Planned Parenthood abortionist clinics stating they know abortion kills a human being. Let's look at another, another one. 
Ann Furity, the chief executive of the largest independent abortion provider in the United Kingdom. She said this in 2008 during a debate. I quote, We can accept that the embryo is a living thing in the fact that it has a beating heart, that it has its own genetic system within it. It is clearly human in the sense that it is not a gerbil, and we can recognize that it is human life. The point is not when does human life begin, but when does it really begin to matter? What a horrible statement. When does it matter about your human life? Is it when we're still in the womb? Is it one-year-old, two-year-old, three-year-old, four-year-old? When do we really think human life matters? That was her question. Now let's look at another leading abortionist, Bernard Nathanson, co-founder of one of the most influential abortion advocacy groups in the world, and once served as medical director for the largest abortion clinic in America. And in 1974, he wrote an article for the New England Journal of Medicine, in which he states this, There is no longer serious doubt in my mind that human life exists within the womb from the very onset of pregnancy. Twenty-two years after that, he went on to state this, There is simply no doubt that even the early, that the early embryo is a human being. All its genetic code and all its features are indisputably human. As to being, there is no doubt that it exists, is alive, is self-directed, and is not the same being as the mother, and therefore is a unified whole. So when does human life begin? Every new life begins at conception. Folks, this is an irrefutable biological fact. Therefore, all those teachers out there, all those biology teachers that state we don't know when life begins or promoting abortion are promoting the killing of a human being. And they're teaching our children to kill the human being. This is what's happening across America today. Textbooks writers who endorse abortion put it in there. They are held responsible and should be held responsible for the killing of human beings because, folks, it is an irrefutable genetic fact that life begins at conception. In other words, it is a false claim that no one knows when life begins and is dishonest to argue that abortion does not kill a human being. Now, another important fact to consider is the high incidence of breast cancer that seems to be closely related to abortion. In 1994, a study was published in the Journal of the National Cancer Institute that included 1,800 women. The study showed that abortion increases the risk of developing breast cancer by the age of 45 by 50%, folks. That was done by the National Cancer Institute. That's what they discovered. So to say it has no problems, folks, is an absolute lie. And we need to get the facts straight, and we need to start teaching these facts in our education systems. So now, let's take a turn and look at the roots of abortion. What is the main reason people have abortion? It's because of a refusal to believe God's Word, the Bible. 
That is the number one reason why people have abortion. They will not listen or believe God's word when he says he created us in the image and likeness of himself and that we were specially made and were not animals. We should never be going out there calling our children animals. That is an evolutionary idea. God made us in his image and likeness and no other creature was made in his image and likeness. Therefore, we are not animals. We are human beings. The Roots of Abortion. Let's take a look at Adolf Hitler. And I quote, The demand that defective people be prevented from propagating equally defective offspring represents the most humane act of mankind. In other words, if you have some defect, and who determines what is a defect or not, Hitler said, let's kill him. And he did just that in World War II. Now let's go to another route of abortion. Margaret Sanger, the founder of Planned Parenthood, the person we hold up in great esteem in our education system. And here is a quote from Margaret Sanger. And she says, The most merciful thing that a large family does to one of its infant members is to kill it. Did you get what she said there, folks? The best thing you can do if your family is getting too large is kill one of your children. That is who we're trying to honor in this country. People say just indiscriminately kill others. Who gave us that right to indiscriminately kill based on convenience? Another great factor in the promotion of abortion is called evolutionism. You see, according to evolution, we are nothing more than an animal with higher intelligence. Therefore, kill the baby. And then another promoter is the public education system. Can I read you a quote from one of our biology textbooks? And it states this, When contraception fails, pregnancy can be terminated by abortion. There we have it, our textbook authors promoting the killing of human beings. No wonder we have so many problems in our public schools with stabbings and shootings. We've told our children Human life has no value. That is based on evolutionary thinking. And also, another reason for so many abortions is many women are not being informed. They're not being told the truth. They're not being told the real science about human development. They're being lied to by such organizations as Planned Parenthood. Now let's look at some word meanings. Let's look at some meanings of words. And also, I want to go through and answer challenges by the anti-life side. So let's start with a term called fetus. What is a fetus? Well, let's start with words like toddler or adolescent. They refer to different stages of our development. Likewise, fetus and embryo don't refer to non-humans they refer to humans, particular stages of our development. For example, fetus is a Latin word where translate means offspring, little one, or young one. In other words, the next time somebody uses the word fetus, which is a legitimate word, it's a word that we can use up to a certain stage of development. But if somebody's using that all the time, you can tell them, do you know what the word fetus means? It means little one, young one, or baby human baby there. Let's look at another word, a word called 
fertilization or conception. Now, let's get some other words that will help us understand what is meant by fertilization or conception. Sperm, that is part of a human, 23 chromosomes. That's what a sperm is, 23 chromosomes. Then we have ocytite or the egg, which is part of a human being, 23 chromosomes. Each of these, sperm and egg, possess human life, but they are not human life. They are not a living human being. When they combine, when sperm and egg combine, each having 23 chromosomes, that's when human life begins. That's when we get 46 chromosomes, all the information we will ever need or have for continued development. In other words, at conception, we become what is also called a zygote, a single-celled embryo. So the difference is sperm and egg, 23 chromosomes, they are human, but not a human being. They contain part of a human. But when they combine, we have 46 chromosomes, which is characteristic of a human being. Now, let's start by answering some challenges. I want to go through eight challenges by the anti-life, or sometimes referred to as the pro-choice life, which you found out is really not a choice. It's mostly made out of some type of fear or pressure. Challenge number one, pro-lifers claim that abortion of a human embryo is wrong because it destroys human life. But human sperm and eggs are also human life, folks. That is a complete misunderstanding of science. Sperm and egg contain human life, 23 chromosomes, but they are not a living human being. When they are combined, that's when we get our 46 chromosomes, all the information we'll ever need for continued development. So that kind of a challenge shows a misunderstanding of science. We should know that from our biology classrooms. So answer one. There is a scientific difference between a sperm and an egg which contain 23 chromosomes. The embryo, or living human being, contains 46. Therefore, destroying a, a sperm or an egg does not constitute abortion. Now, let's look at challenge number two. The product of fertilization is just a blob or a bunch of cells, or another way of saying this, the product of fertilization is just a potential or possible human being, not a real existing human being. Again, that shows a complete misunderstanding of science. So the answer to that challenge is this. The human embryo formed at fertilization is a human being because it contains 46 chromosomes. That is all the information we'll ever need or have for continued growth and development. Therefore, it is not a blob or just a bunch of cells. Now let's go to challenge three. A single cell human embryo is not a human being because it does not look like a human being. Folks, that is a very silly statement. That is just absolutely silly to make that kind of statement and shows again a complete misunderstanding of science. How do we answer that? Well, a single cell human or a zygote or a more developed human embryo, or a human fetus is a human being. That is the way they're supposed to look at that stage of development. All through our process, from a single cell all the way up through an adult, we go through different stages of how we look. For example, we start as a zygote. 
a single-cell human being. Then we develop into a blastocyst around day five, then into an embryo, then into a fetus, and then eventually into what we call a delivered baby, a toddler, an adolescent, an adult. Those are the ways we're supposed to look at those stages of development. So again, that is a silly statement. We're not human because we don't look human. Now let's go to challenge number four. The embryo and the embryonic period, human life, begin at implantation six to ten days after conception. Now what do we mean by implantation? That is the act of the fertilized egg attaching to the uterine wall. So we're really not a human being until about six to ten days after conception. Folks, again, that shows a misunderstanding of science. Isn't it amazing that the abortion industry abandoned science and is basically going on emotion and money? Let's turn to the Webster's Unabridged Dictionary, 1828 and 1913. And to define pregnant as having conceived or the state of a female who has conceived. In other words, human life begins at conception. Now let's go to the 26th edition of the Stedman's Medical Dictionary. And it states this. The act of conceiving or becoming pregnant. Fertilization of the ocytite or the egg. In other words, human life begins at conception. Now let me read a quote from a medical doctor, Dr. Tommy Mitchell. It states this. The implantation process begins on day six following fertilization and can continue until around day nine. Some now suggest that it is not until this time that the zygote can be called human life. However, achieving implantation does not make the individual more human. Rather, implantation makes the individual more likely to survive. In other words, implantation offers no new information. It just gives us a better capability to survive. Now, challenge five. The product of fertilization up to 14 days is not an embryo. It is just a pre-embryo and therefore can be used in experimental research, aborted or donated. How do we answer that? Well, the simple answer is this, folks. There's absolutely no such thing as a pre-embryo. Either you're an embryo or you're not. There's no such thing as a pre-embryo. That is a myth that dates back to about 1975 and was used to perform experiments on human beings, much like we saw in Germany in the 1930s and 40s. The whole concept of pre-embryo was used in order to experiment on human beings. Let me read a quote from an embryology textbook on this. And I quote, Finally, the fertilized egg, now properly called an embryo, did you get that? At fertilization, we are an embryo, not a pre-embryo, must enter the uterus, where it sinks into the uterine lining, implantation, to be nourished by the mother. In other words, folks, there is no such thing as a pre-embryo. That is, again, incorrect science. Now let's go to challenge six. The morning after pill, sometimes called the emergency contraception, RU46, the IUD, and the new Ella drug do not cause abortions. They're just methods of contraception. How do we answer that one? These can all cause an abortion if fertilization takes place. Because at fertilization, we have 46 chromosomes. We become a unique human being. They would then act to prevent implantation 
of an already existing embryo. And if the human embryo is prevented from implantation into the uterus, the embryo or human being dies. So all of these can and quite often do cause an abortion, the termination of a human life. Now I can read you something special about the RU486. A report by the FDA in 2011 indicates that 14 women in the United States alone have died from using the RU486 abortion drug and over 2,200 women have been injured by the RU486 drug and yet it remains on the market. Now let's go to challenge number seven. Early on there is no cerebral cortex for thinking. Therefore, the baby feels no pain during abortion, folks. There we go again. A complete lack of understanding of science by the abortion industry. How do we answer that? Well, I'm going to use a book called The Introduction to Basic Neurology. The cerebral cortex isn't needed to feel pain. The thalamus is needed, and the thalamus is functioning at eight weeks. Even Complete removal of a cortex does not eliminate the sensation of pain. Wow. See, again, the abortion industry is not using science. They're going on two things, emotion and money. Let's go to challenge eight, our last challenge. Why are you Christians against a woman's right to choose? That one we hear quite often. A woman should have a right to choose. Well, first off, we're not against a woman's right to choose her own future. But we are against a woman's so-called right to choose to kill or terminate another person's future. When did we get the right to start saying, you cannot have a future, therefore I'm going to kill you? When did women get the right to do that, to, to terminate somebody else's future? We're not against her right to choose her own future, but to indiscriminately terminate another's future we should not have the right to do that. And we are for the right for women to know the truth, which they're not getting from many of these abortionist industries. See, we are for the right for upholding the authority of God's Word. And many of you in church need to abide by God's Word, that abortion is wrong. And that is coming down to our conclusion now. You see, abortion is the killing of a human being. We've gone through the medical industry. It is well known that at conception we have a unique human being. And it's not a right to kill that human being. There is no good reason for killing a human being, a baby in the mother's womb. Not even the case of rape. See, that baby had nothing to do with that rape. Two wrongs do not make a right. There's no good reason for abortion, not even in the case if that baby's going to be deformed. Because, folks, you do not have to have arms and legs to become a great prayer warrior that can save others' lives or even nations. And now to the good news. I told you we're going to have some good news. And our good news comes from the book of Ephesians, chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. And I read this. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace 
you have been saved. In other words, our God, the living God, the creator of all things, the creator of human life has told us this, that it doesn't matter what you have done out there. You can have done the worst crime of all, but his grace and mercy is big enough to cover that also. Would you not turn to our greater God, Jesus Christ, God who came down to this planet to suffer and die in our place on that cross and was raised from the dead. He paid the price for all our sins. Would you not turn to him now? No matter what you have done, his grace and mercy is big enough to cover it. Thank you and God bless you. If these lessons had been a blessing to you, you might consider financially supporting the Ministry of Creation Training Initiative. You can do this by going to our website, creationtraining.org. Again, that's creationtraining.org. Your tax-deductible donation of just $20, $50 or more a month, or a one-time gift of any amount will make you an education partner in building an army of Christian educators who can teach the biblical account of creation and train others to be able to defend their faith and be biblically faithful to God's word as it states in 1 Peter 3.15. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear.